ownership of the rental could be like a bearer asset. If you have the fucking NFT, you have control of the the house that you are renting. Uh, and if I kill you and take it from you, then it's my house now. <laughs> we could try that. <laughs> All right. What's up, everybody? This is Other Life. I am Justin Murphy. I just wanted to let you know that I write a free newsletter to thousands of people every week. It's where I publish my best work. I share events that you can come to and much more. We have an insane private community around the newsletter and it's free. Go check it out. Just go to otherlife.co. That's otherlife.co. When you subscribe, I'm going to send you a folder of PDFs that contain all of my personal highlights from a bunch of my favorite books that I've read over the years. So you'll get a million insights after just a few minutes of browsing these PDFs, really. They're really special to me and I just figured I'd share them with you all. So that's otherlife.co, otherlife.co. We were saying just before we started recording, uh, you bought him a lady finally. Uh, yeah, t- two nights ago. Well, how much did you pay for it? Uh, like 0.72 ETH. Some, Dude, somewhere in this there. is like the only good NFT thing I've ever done because I bought one at uh, 0.1 ETH a few weeks ago. Uh, but then I was like, shit, if this goes to like 100 ETH, I'm not going to want to. I'm, I'm going to need one also if I sell one. So I was like, Mm-mm. so I was like. I'm going to buy another one. And that, so I bought one last night uh, at 1.2 ETH. And already it's, um, let's see, actually, let's check the floor pr- price right now. It's going to be a little out of date when people watch this. But I didn't even like research it. I just aped into the first one that was available. So yeah, I, actually, I like it. It's a good one. I actually did research and I have, I have like an, I have a Milady thesis. I've talked about it on this podcast, so I won't repeat it. But floor price right now is 1.4. So anyway. Almost doubled my money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is like the only smart NFT thing I've, I've ever done. Um, there, when NFTs like first got popular, I kind of stupidly like bought one or two idiotic things for like a point, you know, two ETH or something like that. And they promptly went to zero. Uh, but yeah, so. You got to buy it for the art. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's buy it for the money. Well, I buy it for, I, I, I Milady is like one of the first NFTs that, to me has a actually interesting provocative kind of cultural energy behind it that's not just this like saccharine lame you know rainbow smiley gm happy-go-lucky <laughs> crypto veneer mm-hmm. you know the milady people are like legit accelerationists and i don't know anything about the founder but they seem very smart. They they seem a little bit dark energy. Like I don't. I'm I'm kind of worried about Milady. I feel like this is maybe there's going to be mass shooters or something like that, uh, citing Milady or something like that. But um, uh, I do think that the the Milady people have their finger on on the dark truth of crypto anarchism, basically. And crypto anarchism is what I find most interesting about crypto. So it's like. When I see them come around, I'm kind of like, all right, I got to buy one of these NFTs. And now I got to buy two. Yeah, I kind of saw it as there seems to be a lot of relationship with the Urbit community. And so in yeah. some way, I think of it as almost like a leveraged Urbit bet. Like, you know, it might perform out, you know, it'd be like a 2x Urbit fund or something. Yeah. They're, um, maybe yeah. maybe Miladies will start the Urbit murder cult. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll see. No, I, I see it similarly, too. Um, when I see a group, a creative group of any kind that is on Urbit or that, pumps urbit like the the milady founder is an urbit maximalist legit and when i see that i do kind of increase my 
the credence that I assign to, to, to the project in general. So yeah, there's that. So, all right, Andrew. So you and I have been friends for quite a while. And so, uh, you live here in Austin now with me, you're a recent transplant and a lot of people right now, it's super popular to talk about private villages and charter cities and buying land with your friends and building compounds and this kind of thing. It's, it's very interesting to a lot of people uh, at this moment, but not a lot of people actually take action to to do this kind of thing. People like to talk about it, but not a lot of people do it. And you recently bought 21 acres about 45 minutes west of Austin. So I want to talk all about villages, DAOs, and you know what you're thinking and how you're you know researching this space, how you're thinking about building this out in your own way. So just tell us, give us the give us the elevator pitch, give us the TLDR. What is your vision? What are you what are you looking to build? Um, okay, so the the high level vision is I kind of see the future of cities uh, moving toward you know people talk about decentralized cities, distributed cities, and um, the way I've been thinking about that is sort of aligning incentives. How do you get line incentives within a city? Uh, and so sort of, I think like common ownership of a piece of property, sort of like a co-op or, or something like that. Um, so if you have a bunch of these co-ops that make up a city, um, each co-op, they can have its own culture, have its own building styles. It can, you know, exp if it's on crypto, it can experiment with its own, you know, economic system. Um, there could be libertarian ones, there could be communist ones. Um, and so, that's sort of the idea is that there's gonna be a bunch of these like different neighborhoods that are all kind of DAOs and they all own their own, you know, they all own their land and they all have their own little economic system. And I think there's a lot of interesting things you can do there where, you know, if one, I call them neighborhood DAO, if one neighborhood DAO does like a token swap with its neighbor uh, or just buys uh, tokens of its neighbor, it's pretty interesting, I think, because then you get, you know, some economic upside in your neighbor, you get some voting rights over your neighbor. Um, so I think there's a, a way to rethink these like uh, incentives within cities, um, sort of get rid of the NIMBY impulse. Um, I think it's a way, you know, you could think of like trading air rights, you know, it's making everything a market. And I think crypto, there's a big potential here to make cities more of a market um, where, you know, everything is economic and you can, you know, sell, sell rights, buy rights. Um, have different voting mechanisms and stuff like that. Right. It's kind of interesting to think about the HOA as kind of like a proto-DAO in a certain way because HOAs, housing associations, are kind of an attempt to align incentives. They create some structure for kind of like public goods within a particular neighborhood. But then they do seem pretty liable to NIMBYism and uh, they can only ally, they, they, they can only align the incentives so much, right? Um, so in a way, it's like, the, a village DAO or a neighborhood DAO is kind of like a radicalization of the of the HOA in a way and giving it much more um, kind of formalism and liquidity and different types of uh, financial uh, tools really to like build that out in kind of more interesting ways, right? So yeah, so tell us more in concrete detail, like what, tell us about the property that you bought, uh, tell us about how you think about building this out. Okay, so yeah, I just talked about the general idea, and so the specific implementation um, is called Montanoso. Uh, and so I'm thinking like a little traditional village, um, you know, like an old, you know, Italian town or something, or, you know, something you'd find in Europe, where it's a small town, it's walkable, um, there's no cars within the town itself. Um, so yeah, I bought 21 acres, uh, 45 minutes west of town in Hill Country. Uh, part of the reason that 
that property appealed to me is because one, it's next door to Cabindau, who's also do it's also doing a decentralized city. So there's a lot of I think a lot of interesting, you know, overlap or potential there for collaboration. Right. Shout and, out to the Cabindau people. By the way, why don't you give people just the, the summary on that project? It's kind of interesting. How does that work? Uh, they're building a decentralized city. Um, and the way they're doing it is they have a piece of land as well, which they've been offering to online creators to come stay out there. This season they've been doing, uh, they've been letting a lot of crypto people stay out there. Um, and so they're try trying to figure out how to incorporate more properties throughout the world. And so basically I think the idea is that, you know, you can, if you have a property that you want to contribute to the cabin network, you can bring it in here and they're working on the, you know, the token incentives for how that works. And right. We'll get Jonathan on the podcast for sure. Eventually I'm sure. Um, so something to note here for people listening is that it's like you're what you're building with Montanoso. It's not this like super abstract, random, isolated idea, pie in the sky, kind of uh, out in the middle of nowhere. It's it, it's right next to Cavendale. So there's already uh, some critical mass emerging. People don't necessarily know this, but out in Johnson City, um, there are already these things happening. And actually, we have a lot of friends in that area who are buying houses, maybe not right on that lot of land where you and Jonathan are, but um, around there. So there is this kind of weird, interesting, kind of uh, diffuse, proto-urban uh, formation in a way. Uh, urban's not quite the right word, but there's like this weird kind of like spread out proto-metropolitan kind of uh, thing going on in that part of, of, of the hill country, which I don't think anyone really knows about this yet. I'd love to see more DAOs or people doing weird stuff like this, buying land out there and creating like a, a weird community of crypto it enthusiasts. Seems, yeah, it seems like it's already emerging. So that's just, I just wanted to give that as context for people. It's not like you just like picked a random place on the map where there's no one within miles. This is like already an emergent um, geography for this type of thing. And, you know, the cabin out like they're booked up nonstop. Uh, you know, the, the one house on your property is already you, you collaborate with the cabin Dow people. Right. And, um, you're already getting overflow from cabin Dow just about every night right now. Right. Uh, yeah, I was like node one or something. They called it like okay. the first additional property. And I've been, you know, renting it out to, to cabin. They pay me on chains. It's yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So this is not like some pie in the sky thing. This is, there's a ton of demand for this and it's already there and it's already emerging in, uh, that part of Johnson city. Okay. So fascinating we're just kind of setting the scene for people um so you have one house on the property right now and what is the next step are, are you going to have to raise capital what are you going to build next um what what is the sequence that you'll pursue to build this out and make it uh you know a financially viable uh you know phenomenon uh there's a few things i'm pursuing in parallel right now first of all it's building a community of people that are interested in this um so getting like families together that might want to move out there um, it, you know, it is hard to be out there full time just because you are kind of far from things. And so I think if you could get three or four families out there to start with, I think that would be good, you know, a little critical mass, have company and have, you know, interesting events. Um, also probably we'll start looking for people to invest soon. Um, and then also trying to figure out like what the first buildings we will build are. So there's, like you said, there's already a house. Um, so I probably want to build like a couple more houses on there. And then maybe like a small office building, um, uh, like a little schoolhouse for the families. Um, I think I think the main thing is the housing. 
uh, and get a few more houses on there so people can live out there. And then while while those are being built, work with the potential residents to figure out, you know, what's the next priority of what we should build out there. Right. Okay. And have you done a lot of research on things like materials and housing designs? And what is your perspective on the best way to build this type of little village in terms of the, you know, the concrete materials and, and designs and stuff like that. How far along are you on that? Or do you have any interesting takes or um, opinions on that? Yeah. I'd like to use uh, local, uh, you know, tr- sort of traditional materials like stone and brick. Um, I think that's important because if you, if you're going to be living in close proximity to other people, you want it to be soundproof. And I think a lot of these materials, they help like sound dampen. So you can be a really nice, quiet community. Um, also, you know, it kind of acts as a heat buffer. So, um, I think you, you want to be somewhere where it's pleasant. You're not just being baked in the sun, like on asphalt. Right. So if these help absorb the heat during the day and release it during night, it kind of helps buffer the, buffer the temperature. Um, yeah. And just like, you know, lots of soundproofing, traditional materials. Right. Right. Uh, and so, okay. So let, let's unpack a little bit about how you see kind of the, the financial architecture, like how, you know, how, how do you plan to design the economic relationships how are you? How are you thinking about this? I told you you shouldn't drink uh, bubbly water on the <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah. So I guess the the idea is that uh, the Dow is sort of the uh, you know it kind of runs everything. The Dow will rent. Uh, eventually, there will be a Dow. There's no Dow yet, but eventually, the Dow will rent the land um, from an LLC. I think that owns it um, f- for the short term, probably. And then, so you rent from the DAO. So you, what you do is you buy an NFT that represent your, represents your lease of, the, of a building. And that gives you the right to live there. You put in money every month or however, you, however often you want to top it up. Um, and so your money goes to the DAO. The DAO pays the LLC and then the DAO takes care of, you know, running the village and stuff like that. And so the NFT that you buy to be a leaseholder, is that like limited in time? Or it's just like whoever has possession of the NFT is the leaseholder at that time. So the NFT would trade back and forth among whoever is going to be moving in and out. Uh, yeah, I think you could probably design the contract so that it always goes back to the village uh, at the end of the lease. I think, you know, the village could probably like yank the yank it if it needs to. Um, it's but, just uh, sort but of, do I have the, I, the right idea that, you know, the, the tenant of a property would be in possession of the NFT. And if they're no longer a tenant, then they would transfer the NFT uh, in some way. Right. Right. It's kind of weird now because, you know, you, there's going to be legal documents in addition to the NFTs. So it's like, which one takes priority? Probably the legal document at the end of the day. Um, but I think, you know, over time, maybe the NFT can have more more rights assigned to it. And so is there a reason you can't, you, you need to have, you can't go full crypto on this, I guess, because it's just too risky. That would be too risky. Like, you, uh, you need legal entities. I mean, we could. I guess be the enforcer. And if you don't have an <laughs> NFT, I just kick you out of your home. But like, <laughs> uh, I mean... Yeah, we could. We could well, you could do. Like you could do. You could do like the locks on the door are like contingent on the, uh, having the NFT. So right. So it's like the, the right. NFT is the, well, literally the key to the place. Uh, I have I have mixed feelings about these okay. digital locks. Uh, Why? We just don't want like lose power or whatever. <laughs> I had one in Miami and it was always like not working and failing. But the the cabin actually has a product that's like a little uh, card or whatever, which I think has a wallet on it. So you can put an NFT on there and then it gives you access to things. I, I believe. Yeah, right. So that, that's that's what I'm talking about, right? So like it could just be like whoever, like it's a bearer asset. Like it basically the, the ownership of the rental could be like a bearer asset. If you have the fucking NFT, you have control of the, the house that you are renting. Uh, and if I kill you and take it from you, then it's my house now. <laughs> we could try that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. And so are you are you thinking about this on like a, 
are you going to think about doing like farming or like making it like a productive place or no like everyone's just gonna have like internet incomes and like it's like software engineers making money off the internet and the the land itself is not like the village itself is not necessarily producing uh value off the land or anything like that um I, yeah i don't think it's going to be like a primary source of income i imagine a lot of the residents will be people with internet jobs um maybe you know it'd be great if we had people that want like that want to build the village and also live in the village you know like a stonemason or something i think that'd be amazing um but generally yeah, uh, I think the land is not like super productive. The hill country, I think there's not, you know, it's not there's not a lot of great soil. It's uh, a lot of clay and stuff and like limestone. So there's, I don't know how much, you know, plant or animal life it can support. Right, right. Um, so you get like some cows and stuff, and I want to plant like a wildflower meadow and maybe get some bees. Um, so it can support a little bit of industry, uh, like craft industry, but like you know, we're not going to feed ourselves from, from the right, land. Right, that's not the idea. Right, okay, and so. I think people listening can understand the idea and the appeal of using things like NFTs as as um, leases, basically, like uh, using a token as representation of ownership for something uh, for some amount of time. I think that makes intuitive sense. Now, one of the big attractors, I think, for DAOs and 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 all of these new experiments in Web three is is also the idea of uh, kind of accumulating a stake in things, accumulating ownership, um, distributing the value that's created by a community to the community itself. And so I know you've given some thought to to how to do that over the longer term. How, how do you think about that? And, and how does that kind of mix in? Uh, yeah, so one of the things I think about, like this co-op model we talked about briefly, um, is sort of like a hybrid rent own ownership model where, you know, you rent the, pro- you rent, you rent the lease, the apartment, but also you can have like a ownership of the community as well. Um, so that you can sort of acquire more of the community as you contribute value to the community, you know, it becomes more desirable tokens, you know, you want to like, uh, buy these tokens, uh, and then as you contribute to the community, the token maybe goes up in value or something. Um, and I also think it's interesting if you, if you hold these tokens and you can then stake them on your lease, get discount on your rent. So that way, the more, the more you own, the, the cheaper your rent up to, you know, a certain amount, you still have to pay taxes and there's still maintenance and stuff like that. Um, but I think that's that's an interesting model because then you can sort of decide how much you want to rent versus how much you want to own, and you can adjust that over time based on your needs. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff there where you know if you die, you can give you can give half the tokens to each of your kids, uh, and then, like they don't have to worry about trying to split a house up or whatever. Um, and then also, if you own these tokens, you can move within the community and not have to sell your home. You just you know rent a new home, maintain the ownership of the token. Uh, you know, as as life circumstances change, you can you can keep keep the ownership right yeah that makes a lot of sense to me it sounds really attractive to be able to it's kind of like the rent to own model almost in a way right because as you're renting you're accumulating something that kind of represents um a share right like obviously it's not a security um but it, it at least within that kind of internal economy it represents um a kind of stakeholding that would that should appreciate in value over time, even though right. I mean, even though we're not saying that it's going to appreciate in value over time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like, not a speculative asset. This is not financial advice. It's a utility token, right, and a governance token, right? Right. So yeah, definitely, there's going to be governance rights associated with it. You know, you could vote on the what to do with the what to do with the community. Um, yeah, I think especially for the early residents, you do want to give out tokens for people that live there because they're taking a risk. You know, up uh, uprooting themselves and moving to a small community. Uh, and they're providing a lot of value by like bootstrapping this community. And so I think for the early residents, for sure, definitely you want to give them tokens for for uh, living there. Um, over time, 
debatable. You know, you might just want to have it just, you know, stop the inflation and just let them let people buy them as many as they want or. Right. It's kind of like, uh, right. It's like airdropping to early users to incentivize early risk taking, early adoption. But then once it reaches takeoff and becomes sufficiently valuable and viable on its own terms, then you would wind that down. And the token holders can decide this. They can put it up to a vote. Um, I imagine, you know, you could, do, you could do a vote based on just pure token ownership. You can do some sort of weird quadratic voting thing where, you know, you have, to, you have even though you have a lot more tokens, you don't necessarily get a lot more votes. You can also incorporate the NFTs so the people that live there that actually lease the place, even if they don't own any tokens, get, you know, a pretty big vote because right. they're actually living there and that's, you know, their life. So right. there's a lot of interesting things I think you can do with governance that way. Yeah, it's fascinating. And so how do you see the landscape of of tooling like what how do you how do you see the village dow stack like what what tools are you using here how do you how do you envision this community actually kind of executing its its governance and its and its uh arrangements in this way um are we talking like yeah just i'm curious give us a sense of like um what are, what are we using here is it discord servers and gnosis safes or is it like um is it like a like the syndicate DAO or like there's just like this interesting landscape of different tools and and competing frameworks i'm just curious if you've um how far you've gotten in thinking that stuff through um yeah i think the DAO won't come until probably you know later this year early next year um the actual on-chain component Mm -hmm. um so and and then the stuff moves so quickly so it's hard to say exactly what it's gonna look like i'm kind of hoping uh some of these like zero knowledge layers layer twos will uh, launch soon because then all the transactions will get a lot cheaper. I don't want people to have to pay, you know, a hundred bucks. You don't want, you don't want to have a hundred dollar fee to pay your rent. Um, so hopefully you can move to like a layer two that makes everything cheaper. Um, for voting, probably just like a snapshot voting to, to start out with something like that. Um, for, uh, for, commu- for the discussion groups, I think a lot of it will happen in person eventually, but right now I'm not a fan of discord. It's yeah. too noisy. Uh, you get all these randos coming in, you know, trying to scam you or ask when moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so actually, the commu- the discussion groups on Urbit. Uh, I figured, you know, Urbit it's quiet. It's, it's a nice barrier to entry. Um, so you know, you don't you want people to have to do something to, to be a part of the community. You don't want just like randos coming in and and ruining things. Right. Because um, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking. Like. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I feel like all these discords they're just uh, <laughs> like yeah. people shooting the shit or whatever. Totally. And, that's, and that's pretty boring. So, uh, yeah, totally. All right. Awesome. Urbit, Urbit, but Urbit Maxi Village Dial. I'm into it. But I also think there's other interesting things you can do as well. Like, if you can, there's things like uh, Rary, which is like a lending market. So you can deposit your, your token and borrow, you know, uh, stable coins against it. So I think it'd be interesting if you could sort of tie this lease in. So if, let's say you deposit your, your community token as part of your lease to get a discount on rent. But then also, you have that deposited, then you can borrow cash against that. So you can take out cash if you need to. Um, you could probably use that for a little bit of leverage where you take out cash and buy more of the tokens. Um, so I think there's a lot of interesting things you can do there where you plug into like this DeFi landscape of all the different tools people are building. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's kind of like how now, man, it's so funny. I just said fascinating the third time. My wife this morning was listening to one of my podcasts. She was like, you say the word fascinating way too much. And now I am now I can't now, now I can't uh, ignore it when I, when I do it. Uh, so it's interesting to me how a common practice now is like if you buy a home well not now like millennials because they've been priced out of homes but uh for the boomers who own homes something that boomers do is um they'll take out a line of credit on their home or they'll they'll like refinance or whatever 
And if so, if you if you bought a home a long time ago and it's appreciated in value, you can basically cash out some of that value and do stuff with it. So you can imagine the uh, Montanoso Village Dow basically doing this, but with like DeFi uh, to Rails, which that is that is actually really cool when you when you start to think about um, what you could do as a community because it's not just you; it's now you and a bunch of other people who also have a stake in the village. You could all, you know, kind of you could all decide to borrow against the value of the whole village if you wanted to, right? I imagine that's part of the way that the village will help fund new buildings and stuff is they'll just, uh, you know, borrow against their tokens, build the new building, and then they have a, then that building has a cash flow. Um, so there's potentially, you know, you could sell off that cash flow um, or you can just uh, issue more tokens. You know, there's a lot of ways I think you can start funding it once it's, you know, up and running. So what are the, what are some of the most inspiring examples that you know of, or what, what are previous case, case studies that you take the most kind of knowledge and inspiration from? In terms of like, oh, just just like other projects that you've seen that are that you think are doing a good job of this, or um, just yeah, just I'm curious, like maybe where you got the idea from, or like what what out there before now have you seen or looked at where you're like, oh, okay, this this can be done, this is possible, and I'm learning from this or learning from that. Um, I'm not sure. I think a lot of it was just kind of I came to from uh, first principles. I hate I feel yeah. bad using that phrase, yeah. but uh. Yeah, like just thinking about like incentive design in cities and what the problem is and like kind of coming to this model of a village or whatever. But I think there's, you know, co-ops exist. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never lived in one. I've, I've been on an HOA board, so I know sort of what that's like. Right. Um, but yeah. I, th- I think, you know, sort of just like little village projects, like there's places like Seaside, Florida. Um, there's like developments in Charleston, uh, Cat Fiddle Street. I think there's a lot of these like small de- urban developments that are that I've been inspired by. Right. Um, but uh, in terms of like co-op, crypto co-ops, that sort of thing, uh, I don't really know. I feel like have, there's like I feel like there's a lot of things doing this right now, like a lot of regenerative Web three type things. Right. Um, so we all seem to be kind of approaching a problem, and you know, we all have our own little aspects we're doing. But there's a lot of people that are in sort of the same vein, I think. Right. And so, what do you think is the biggest challenge or or pitfall? Like, if you're back on the podcast in five years and this fails badly for some reason what would that reason be why what what's the most likely way for this to go off the rails or never get off the ground or 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 perhaps go down in flames like what's the biggest risk or or threat or challenge to this type of project um i feel like uh just getting getting buy-in from people i think uh it's pretty weird i mean so much of the society is built around home ownership home mortgages uh, you can get really cheap rates on a home mortgage. All the tax incentives are for buying a, you know, a single-family home, um, and to a lesser extent, condos. And so if, if sort of all of the institutions are against something you know novel in this regard, uh, I think that would be one of the big challenges. It's just like, how do you convince people that actually this is interesting to like try to live an experiment? You know, for a lot of most people, like their home is their biggest investment um, and like all their net worth. So it's like, how do you convince people to try something new? Um, but, you know, a lot of people don't have homes now, so maybe, uh, I mean, they rent, so, like, uh, you know, for them, maybe it's not as big of a deal. They can just keep renting out, out in the country or whatever and slowly acquire, uh, you know, a share of the community. Right. Um, also, yeah, just, uh, I think that, that'd be a big problem, just, like, convincing people to move out there, try something different. Um, right. There's a big draw to, have, to being in the city, I think. Have you looked at CityDAO? What do you make of that project? Uh, I was 
went to some of the early calls. Um, they seemed, they see, well, I haven't been following them as much recently. Um, but what I, from what I understand is that, you know, they bought some land. I think they went the Wyoming Dow route and they acquired some land, but it's like marginal land, uh, you know, in Wyoming. I don't know how much you can actually put out, you know, I don't know how much you can do with it if people want to live out there. Um, so I appreciate that they're, they're sort of pushing the envelope in terms of what an on-chain entity can do. Um, but I also think they're just like selling, uh, individual lots on the land. Like, you know, you just buy like, you know, a, a square of the land or whatever, which I think is not really interesting. That's not as interesting because that's almost like a sub development and we already have sub developments. I think sort of like, a you know, a novel co-op model is, is more interesting, uh, at least for me. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I wonder, like, are they actually, is anyone doing stuff in Wyoming on these plots of land? Or is it just, like, these digital tokens that people are, are buying and selling? Do you know? I'm just curious. Uh, I like, think they maybe planted the flag, and I think they <laughs> hid some, like, a treasure or something, or a med- medical kit on there or something. I don't know the details. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. You mentioned before uh, uh, zero-knowledge proofs. It's kind of interesting to think about, like, where all this goes in the long run when we have really good zero-knowledge proofs. Uh, are ubiquitous like you can imagine a village DAO where there's no knowledge of the identity of any of the people living there so like i own a house in montanoso but you don't know who i am exactly and there's nowhere traceable uh my identity that that's kind of crazy to think about like we might have these like truly autonomous sovereign little city states in the middle of the Texas Hill Country, that's literally opaque to all law enforcement, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think also like for voting too, you might not want to have your neighbors know what you how you voted on something. Right, it's like secret ballots. You'd want, yeah, it's interesting, right? If you're voting to punish your neighbor for violating the rules or whatever. Yeah, it's fascinating. So I guess the way that your model is different than Cabin Dow is like Cabin Dow wants to do a bunch of different properties distributed around right and the the dow kind of represents uh ownership in the whole kind of distributed web of properties whereas you have a much more local attitude right you you want uh you don't want people coming in and out ideally you want people building long-term relationships um and really having a long-term stake in in the good of the in the health of the village um so is that like a strategic consideration or is that just kind of your your preference like I'm, I'm curious if there's, you know, if if that's an if that's an opinionated aspect of this, and you think that that's like a necessary way to make this sort of thing succeed, or is that just a preference of yours? Oh, it's both. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people like they want community. Um, I feel like, especially you know after the pandemic and everything and some of the chaos around that, I think you know people really want a community that they can, you know, just seeing the same people every day. I think there's a lot of value in that, um, and also. A lot of these things, like, I feel like it, they work best in a high trust environment. So, like, if you're going to be, you know, issuing token bounties for doing some project or whatever, it's very easy. If 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 you live in the town, you can see the project that's being done. You know your neighbors, um, and like if they did the project and how much it's worth to you or whatever. So, you know, let's say you give them a bounty of tokens, but if you have this, like this global network of of villages, some village can just kind of go rogue and be like, oh, we're going to do this. It's going to improve the value of this land this much. You should give us a bounty. And then, you know, who knows really what's going on? There's, you know, I have to be more careful about sort of, you know, there's sort of these, like, these trust issues that come into it. And there's probably ways to figure it out. But I think having like a village of people that know each other, um, that are sort of in it for the long haul, I, I feel like that, that's one of the goals of this project is just to be, you know, 
uh, even when I was young, like I, I liked the long now foundation. So like just thinking, you know, a thousand years in the future, I think it'd be interesting to build a village that you can imagine being around in a thousand years, you know, like our descendants or whatever, um, the, you know, really well-built buildings. Uh, it's a community that's been built, maybe famous people, you know, we raise like the next famous, uh, the next, the new elites come out of here and we take over, <laughs> you know, the, the boomer institutions or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff you can, I don't know, everyone's building for like uh, digital nomads and there's a certain type of people that become digital nomads, but I think a lot of people, they just want to be, you know, have a community, be a digital settler. They might have a remote <laughs> remote job, but they just work, you know, they work and then they have their community um, and they're not traveling all the time. They, you know, have a place to call home. Yeah. They can invest in the community. Digital settler. I like that as opposed to a digital nomad. And I think just having like, uh, you know, I think living on the land and then living on a piece of land and just investing in it yourself, like through like physical work or whatever. I think a lot of people, especially a lot of digital, like knowledge workers sort of crave that. Like a lot of these people want to move out to, you know, do some, do some pro- physical projects in the real world. Cause you write software, it's very inferior, you know, kind of, you know, maybe the project's deleted in two years, it gets canceled. Um, but if you build like a, you know, a staircase or you build a little trail or something or plant a tree, that's going to be there for, you know, a hundred years. Like in software, it's, I guess, I guess crypto might be around in a hundred years because nothing ever deletes these little pieces of stuff on chain, but it, it's definitely physical in a, in a way that software and some of this knowledge work isn't. Yeah, it's true. I think there's a lot of people out there right now who, you know, they make a good chunk of change through being a software engineer, or maybe they just got rich from owning Bitcoin or whatever. Um, but there's kind of a lot of people I would say out there now floating around in our circles who have a good chunk of money but they feel kind of isolated and they feel kind of uh, just generally dissatisfied with their, their everyday life, with the actual structure of their of their life. And so, so a lot of people now will talk about, you know, they want to start a farm or they want to live off the land or whatever. This is like a common thing to talk about. Uh, but it, it does seem like a big problem with a lot of that, a lot of those efforts and, and a lot of those tendencies is, uh, you know, people go off and do their own thing. And then they're kind of just like isolated but in nature or they're like uh they they maybe they have this cool you know country house or a cool farm or something like that um but then they're you know maybe they're a little bit closer to nature but they're still kind of isolated and atomized and a bit alienated so yeah i think i think that there is a massive opportunity i think like some people are going to figure this out I hope it's Montanoso. I hope it's other people I'm friends with uh, who are going to figure this out. But there seems to be massive demand for some type of significantly improved kind of community living. Um, the downside, of course, is it are, are the downsides are well known, right? It's like uh, it's the, it's the well known situations where like bad roommates and you know <laughs> like that. A lot of people when they hear you talk about like village dials or whatever, they're like communism. This sounds like communism. This sounds like socialism, um, or it sounds like a cult. And, um, you know, so I think I think those are the well-known pitfalls that people are are kind of allergic to. But I do think that there's a way to get this right. And some people are going to figure it out soon and there's going to be a massive demand for it. And, yeah, I could I could absolutely see in like 20 years. This is the the norm. This way of living is the norm for educated, sophisticated um, people, just because I think the the benefits that you get to your own life, to your children's life, to and and the financial benefits as well um, are just um, good. They're going to be astounding if you can get it right, if you can avoid the pitfalls. Speaking to what you said a little bit, I think one of the benefits is you know it's nice to be in, I, when I go out there. I'm like very like 
uh, relaxed. It's just very nice out there to get away from the city. Uh, but it's a little bit lonely sometimes. You don't want to be out there all the time. Right. And I think that's the benefit of having a village is that it's very dense. So you're close to your neighbors. You run into people. You can have conversations. But then you're, you know, five steps away or you know, five, uh, one minute away from uh, nature. So you can go hike, hiking through, you know, trails and stuff and be in trees and everything. And I right. think it's sort of you want that that balance of the two. Um, hyper urban, hyper rural. You don't, you know, no suburbs in between. You just go from a city to uh, like a rural environment. Right. Well, what I'm really hoping for is going to happen soon is flying cars because that would be a game changer because like already for me, like I'm interested in this kind of thing. I would love to, you know, think very hard about joining you out in Montanoso with my wife and, and little baby. Um, but now I have this like podcast studio here, right? So I have like all this business downtown, which is awesome. We'll so, build you a podcast studio there. It's fine. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you get my point. And this is going to be true for a lot of people, right? Like people, the, the downtown core has a lot of people's business and work and relationships. So, so one of the big inhibitors for this type of project is just the distance and the time it takes to get, but that's probably going to close. That distance is going to close over time with things like flying cars. And so if we get flying cars soon, it's going to be a massive boost to these types of projects. It's interesting just to think about like how technological innovations are going to change the cost benefit calculus. Um, and there are certain technologies that are going to make this sort this sort of thing, building a village dial 45 minutes outside of the city soon, 45 minutes is going to be 20 minutes or maybe even 10 minutes. Um, and if that happens, it really changes the entire, um, you know, rational calculus for this kind of thing. And it would be a major boon to this type of project. So other things as well, like Starlink, right? Like, you know, your place is not that far out of civilization, so it's not relevant there. But there are a lot of technologies. Oh, like no, that. we need better. Internet oh, there. oh, you do. Okay, okay. <laughs> we're so we're going to get Starlink uh, at some point. So, so yeah, my, my point here is just kind of thinking about how to a lot of people, this stuff sounds kind of speculative. It sounds kind of, um, you know, a little bit too much of a stretch to move out 45 minutes outside of the city. It sounds too weird, too crazy, um, too unlikely, but you can count a bunch of different technological innovations that are happening that are um, getting better and better over time that will actually make that um, an easier and easier uh, decision to make. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I pivoted to, towards more like rural villages because I was originally thinking more, uh, my original idea was like a mega city. Very hard to get started with that. You know, cap <laughs> capital costs are insane. Right. Um, but then just thinking about the technologies that are coming, like you said, flying cars, Starlink, solar, batteries, yep. wells, septic. You can get pretty close to like an off-grid uh, you know, solution here. And it's going to make rural living, I think, a lot better. Uh, right. You're going to feel a lot more connected, but you'll still be able to be in nature. You'll traverse fast distances. Right. Um, and especially for places where the, the, the physical distance isn't very far, you know, by the, by the way the bird crow flies. Um, but maybe there's like a body of water or something. So, you know, in Seattle, like the, the Yak uh, Yakima Peninsula or whatever or whatever it's called it's like three miles away from seattle but it's an hour-long ferry ride so if you just take a little five-minute flying taxi ride all of a sudden these lands you know it's gonna it's gonna do big changes to the to the price of land market i think um as sort of these new transportation technologies take off maybe i'll just go full elon and i'll propose that we do a tunnel from montanoso to this building right here <laughs> and i'll i'll raise the capital and i'll fund it and i will build it myself That'd be pretty sweet. Supersonic speed tunnel. Uh, that, that would increase. <laughs> Hyper, uh, Hyper, Hyperloop. Hyperloop, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned mega cities. What is that exactly? Oh, just giant giant cities. But people do this like as a like on a startup model? or uh, so There's like the city of Tolosa. They're kind of trying it. I don't know how far that's going to get. 
Um, so maybe. Where's that? Uh, I think he's. I want to say Nevada, but I feel like there might have been a few places in in the running. Have you been to um, uh, Prospero? Prospero? I haven't been there. We should go. Uh, yeah, uh, people. Have, Sean Polly's been trying to get me to come down to check it out. I want to check it out. Yeah, we should go. We should make like a video for the channel about it. <laughs> That'd be fun. A little uh, other life trip to Honduras. Yeah, well, I mean, this stuff is so interesting right now. A lot of people are inter- are really interested in all these different types of experiments. Are there other projects out there right now that you think are particularly worth watching or or interesting? Like, um, how about Charter Cities? You know, do you think that people are going to figure that out, or are you skeptical of that model? Uh, I'm I'm pretty bullish on Charter Cities. I um, um, it's it's hard because it's like you know, no one wants to give up their governance, right? I think for in, for, I think in the U.S. like I think we have generally pretty good laws at the federal level. I mean, you know, there's there's ways to improve it. Uh, don't get me wrong; like it could be way better. But like we we're, we're not as in need of charter cities in the U.S. as they are in some of these other countries. I think um, I think where where the U.S. lacks is our municipal governments aren't very good. So that was sort of the the impetus and the drive to uh, build a mega city. It's like what if we built a city that was like very well run, um, you know, very large. Um, and I think there's a lot of technologies right now that are, that can make living in a, a mega city a lot better too. Like, um, you know, if you move all the logistics underground, you know, with the delivery robots, having all that underground, so the streets can just be for people. I think you make like a much better city and just get, you know, and do a clean start. So you get away from all the, con- the corruption and the special interests that exist in these big cities. Right. Um, cause we, I mean, we have, we have like New York, um, but it's, you know, it's, uh, kind of corrupt it's expensive i think you know if you built a mega city from scratch um and you were able to convince people to move there i think you could have very cheap rents have a, you know have like housing abundance uh it could be very efficient because everything is just moved by robots and then the streets you could just take you know bicycles and scooters around everywhere in in the ideal world with maximum development of montanoso over a long timeline what what do you think is like the maximum capacity for a fully developed montanoso in terms of like how many buildings how many people would be living in the village uh, I'm thinking somewhere around like 15 to 20 homes, like, cause, cause I want to do a, a hilltop community. It's sort of, you know, physically, geographically limited. Um, and I think, uh, since we're, you know, pretty close to Austin, I think we can kind of, uh, you know, uh, take advantage of the benefits that, that Austin has. And so, you know, you don't necessarily need as much in the village itself. Um, but I would love to build, you know, if this, if this works, this model works, I would love to do another village somewhere that's like 150 homes, 200 homes that we can get more of a, like a local economy going. Um, so we just have to prove this one works and then we can start spinning off. Yeah, totally. It's interesting from my perspective, um, as a writer and, you know, with, the, with my internet community, you, I am kind of intrigued by how the internet communities are going to increasingly go IRL, you know, like I've done different events you've come to, like we did base mansion for the second time, uh, this year, second time ever that we did it this year. And you came out to that and people love this kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's really, really fun when you have like internet friends from all over the country or even the world and you just do like a meetup somewhere and you're just like, all right, everyone who wants to come just hop on a plane. We'll all meet, we'll rent it. You know, like I do, like I rent a mansion on Airbnb and, uh, it's super fun. It's super interesting. And to me, that feels like an obvious vector uh, that people are going to be doing more and more. They're going to be pushing down that path more and more. 
And so I think a lot about this, like what would this look like? Uh, how, how should I think about navigating this? And I know Montanoso is more of, you want a more village vibe, you want committed families, you want long-term compounding relationships, which I think is a great idea and a great model, I totally do. Um, but I am all, I also like to think sometimes about how do you have um, an internet community of people all over the world where there can be these, there, there can be a kind of IRL network of spaces where you can meet periodically. So like if you even just look at base mansion, we've done it two times, two, two times, two years in a row. I just rent a mansion each weekend. Like that is successful enough and, and people love it enough that well, I could, I could easily imagine um, as a community, like buying a house or something somewhere. Right. Um, and we just own it and we just use it like twice a year to do like meetups. Uh, it could very well kind of pay for itself just doing that. And plus maybe I have hire an operator to like Airbnb it or something in the meantime, like that probably is a fairly standard, um, that that's going to be financially viable just to use it as kind of like a conference space for the community and then an Airbnb or whatever. So I think a lot about this, like, um, I, cause I want to, I want to think more creatively, uh, down this path. I'm just curious. I know it's kind of getting out of your wheelhouse now. This isn't what you're working on, but, um, do you ever think about this or how, how would you, if you were me and you had this kind of like internet community that likes to do IRL stuff, like how would you think about building that? How do you think people are going to experiment with that? Well, instead of just doing an annual base mansion, you could do a continual rolling base village. You right. Get, if you get like a, I th- the way I think about it. So you're talking about what my influences were. One of them, I'm going to butcher this. It's like Chattaqua or Chappaqua. Okay. So, something in New York, I think. Uh, but basically they, they have like, it's like a small town and they have like this big festival for like a couple months, uh, I think every summer. Um, and so I think there's, you know, there's options like this. If you have a place where people live, like a bunch of interesting people live, maybe they write weird stuff on the internet or whatever, you know, an intellectual community. Um, but then also there's guest rooms in the community as well. So you can just have, you know, guest speakers and internet friends come out. Um, you know, and stay for a week or two or a month or something and just have like, you know, ro- sort of this rolling uh, intellectual influence that just comes through the community. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be family, it can be friends as well, but I think also having, you know, guest, guest speakers and guest, uh, you know, intellectuals and stuff coming um, and like giving talks for the community, collaborating with people that live in the community. Um, I think that would be pretty, pretty fascinating. A very interesting idea. Right, right. So kind of like Montanoso model, but for a more uh, kind of recurring cast of characters coming in and out. So it's kind of the same logic, but it doesn't necessarily need to be long-term families. Uh, I think you'd want like a stable community there, uh, just um, and not just only do. Though I guess the way I was describing it, you know, have a stable community plus this rolling group of. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like al- well. almost like so, you have a village of let's say fifteen families, fifteen houses, but like two of them are like guest houses or something. Yeah, exactly. Of, yeah, well, yeah. There's going to be guest homes and guest units at Montanoso. Right. Okay. Um, so that you know, family and friends and and other people can come. Okay. So that is already how you're seeing Montanoso, like a, a stable set of committed families, building compounding relationships over time. But some amount of the space is kind of reserved for visitors, guests. Maybe you bring in speakers or whatever that kind of thing. You could do that with Montanoso. Yeah. I, I mean, depending on how large the community is or what sort of vibe it goes for, it could be it could bring in intellectuals. You could bring in musicians first do a show um, or collaborations you could do like a chef if you have like a you know little commercial kitchen the chef could come in for a week or two and like just you know so you have like a rotating chef right um, I think there's a lot of different ways you could go with this you have like artists in residence you can just have, 
and you know, and the village could sponsor this too. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to like rent it out to that person. Right. The village could just use their funds and say, okay, we're going to sponsor you for a week or two to come live here and just chat with the community and hang out. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of options with that. Yeah, totally. I know you did a lot of research for, um, when, when you were like planning this and thinking about doing it, you did a lot of research on where to do it. Um, to share your thought process there and, you know, what you were finding in your research and how you ultimately made the, the decision to do this in Texas. Cause I know a lot of people, you know, make the case that the best place to do this type of thing is X and then people have different answers for X. How did you think that through? And, and I'm just curious if you had any observations when you were doing that. Um, I think to get started, you know, it's hard to bootstrap a community like this. So, you know, it's probably gonna be the first ones are probably gonna be pretty small or at least small for the first few years. And so it is beneficial to, I think, be near a larger city. Um, cause then you get that, you can sort of, uh, you know, take advantage of their amenities and their cultural stuff. Um, and then there's just the, you know, the normal stuff, like, does it have water? Um, and then I guess the other, the other big thing is, uh, sort of regulations. And one thing, one thing that pulled me about Texas is that, you know, basically it's anything goes here. It's like a pretty, pretty free state. I did a lot of research in Washington where I'm from and they have, you know, if you want to build like a rural thing, um, there's all these rules about like, cause they, they don't want people to build out there. They want to preserve it as rural land and farms and stuff. And there, there's sort of things you can do. You can make it like a resort. There's like resort exemptions. Um, but basically, yeah, like a lot of places just have tons of rules about development and Texas, from what I can tell, seems to be one of the more free States, uh, in, in terms of that. Um, and especially once you go out a few counties and you're in, you're in an un, unincorporated land, um, just County land, like it's anything goes out there. So hopefully, you know, if you want to, try weird urban experiments uh it seems to be a good place to be i think right M- people might not realize that johnson city is of lbj fame that, that's the city mm-hmm. that basically lyndon b johnson like founded or uh i don't know the details. Oh, not, you know okay, his yeah. childhood home is there um but i don't know beyond that right 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 anyway it's that's the the johnson in johnson city is lyndon b johnson so uh it's pretty cool kind of uh, lore. It's cool lore for the, for the for the village style. Um, cool. Well, where can people find more about Montanoso? It's just montanoso.xyz, is it? Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then on Twitter at montanoso.tx. Nice. Um, so to search for Montanoso. I think, we're, I think we're on the first page of Google results now if you search for Montanoso. And then everything just links to each other. We're on Instagram. Right on. Twitter. And I'll put, I'll put your personal Twitter in the show notes as well if people want to reach out to you. Is that cool? That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're you're open to uh, inquiries if people want to learn more and uh, <laughs> talk about village styles. Yeah, yeah, I need more followers. Sure. <laughs> nice, cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming out. Thanks for being only the third victim now. No, uh, fourth. Your your fourth victim actually. Uh, so thanks for coming out. This is interesting. And yeah, if people are you know watching or listening and interested in this kind of thing, uh, you should hit up Andrew. We talk about this stuff a lot. I hang out with Andrew a lot in in Austin, and uh, I feel like our friend groups are always thinking about this stuff and theorizing it and and thinking about the best way to do this stuff so yeah anyone interested in this kind of stuff even if it's just theoretically uh, feel free to reach out to me or andrew and uh yeah i think some somehow some way someone's going to figure this out and i hope it's you andrew <laughs> and if you're thinking about being a potential resident um you know follow us on twitter slide into the dms we're you know looking for people that are interested in that so totally probably best would be to email um because you're doing andrew's doing different events right now um you know zoom meetups and dinners here in Austin and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, Andrew's, you know, putting in a lot of work to, to meet people and, and, and connect to the people that are interested in doing this kind of thing. So if that's you, definitely just send Andrew an email or a DM and, uh, he'll bring you in the loop. So yeah, 
Cool. Well, thanks again, Andrew. This was oh, fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. My yeah. first podcast. So. <laughs> oh, nice. Awesome. That's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You made it all the way to the very end, so you must really like the show. In that case, I would be super grateful if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co slash review. That's otherlife.co forward slash review. And it'll send you to Apple Podcasts. Just leave a review. You can be honest. Tell me what you really think. I'd really appreciate it because it'll help other people find the show and I'm really trying to grow out the podcast. So thanks for listening and thank you for leaving a review. I really appreciate it.